0: Yeah, I, I don't know about you, but um, one of the things about praying is obviously you're talking to a God you cannot see with your eyes. And it's a, a prayer is a conversation. Uh, that we have. And in any conversation, it's absolutely vital. You've got to get the tone right of the conversation. In most conversations, that's done through visu- visual things, by body language and checking the setting and things like that. Um, so when I pray, I want to get the tone right of the conversation I'm having with God. And uh, I like to then visualize then the setting that I imagine this is kind of like the setting that this conversation is like. So for example that might be different on different occasions. I uh, I might come to God uh, to pray um, with the image in my mind of the biblical image of God as the king when I'm praying. So it would be like I'm a a subject to the king coming into the king's courts you know and uh, talking to him and that would then set the tone for my prayer time wouldn't it? It would uh, kind of remind me of God's sovereignty, his power. You know, I'm here to serve you, Lord. It's on your heart sort of thing. That sets the tone, that, that visual picture, okay? I remember one time when I was praying, I got a kind of visual impression, kind of uh, picture of, of God as a, as a kind of general in his war room, okay? And I, I don't know if this happens in real life, but in films, I don't know if you've, you've seen this, but the generals there with his, sol- with his I don't know, soldiers, lieutenants corporals who knows um but he's there with the big map in front of him and there's all sorts of little tanks and soldiers you know he's moving around with a small broom because i'm not really into this sort of stuff but anyway you might get traveling that's how i imagined it god the general over his strategy toe looking out over seeing how he's advancing his kingdom i was there like in his hq and uh, that set the tone for my prayer time that day Pray for his kingdom to advance coming before god as he as he kind of looks over the whole whole world and the whole span of history and I think, as, we, as we've been doing the last few weeks, look, coming, looking through the Lord's Prayer in Luke's Gospel, Jesus encourages us to do a similar thing right at the outset of the Lord's Prayer with the very first word that, that Jonathan spoke upon, about last week. G- the disciples come to Jesus. They, they teach us to pray. And so Jesus then says, well, this is what you do. Father. First word, Father. And for me what he's doing is he's giving me a visual impression of the setting and the tone now of this conversation that's about to come. Because I I don't know if you do this, maybe I'm just weird in this regard. I'm probably weird, but in this regard anyway. Anyway. as regards visualising the setting, I would go a bit further than just that word. I'd think, okay then, Father, what does this mean? And I kind of picture myself as a child, maybe, uh, going into my living room uh, and seeing my dad sitting in his armchair, his favourite armchair. I can picture it now. Maybe he's reading the paper or something like that. But I bound up to him, Dad, Dad, Dad. And he, and he kind of hears me push the paper down, his face clearly shows this isn't an interruption. It's not an annoyance to him. He's happy I'm there. It's almost like he's been waiting for me. He puts it down. He smiles. He grabs me. He brings me up on his knee and we start talking. And there we have it. From that one word, I have a setting, a visual setting in my mind that then sets the tone for the communication that I'm going to have with God. We put that tone in words. Maybe the picture does it for you. But uh It's kind of what Jonathan talked about last week. As you come to God, what's the situation? Well, we're at ease, aren't we? We can be ourselves with our Father. We don't need to put on a funny voice or use lots of vows and knees and all that stuff. We come as we are. We know that we're accepted. We don't need to impress our father we're not coming towards our father like Jonathan said last week on the basis of a contract but on the basis of relationship that's how we're we're coming in And we also know from that image that the one we're talking to cares for us and he loves us and he wants the best for us and so I think with this one word Jesus sets this tone uh, for our prayer lives and it's a great tone I don't know whether, how you find praying, but however much of a joy or a struggle it is to you, surely this one word, this opening word, at least offers us the possibility that prayer could be a joy and not a chore because we're coming to our Father. It's a great thing. So let's, let's imagine then I'm, I'm praying through this prayer. I've got it in front of me. I'm praying one day. I go, Father, okay, good. And in my mind, I've got the, so, right, I've got it. I understand the setting of this prayer. And so I'll go to the next bit as we're going to go to today. So we see, Father, what what does Jesus say next? May your name be kept holy. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. For those of you who repeated this at school, it would have been, hallowed be your name, wouldn't it? But it kind of, this is exactly the same thing. There's different ways of putting it. Father, may your name be kept holy. okay. I'm there praying. I've got the setting in my head. I'm in the living room on my dad's knee. May your name be kept holy. Strange things happen all of a sudden. I start questioning wait a minute, did I really get this setting right here? Did I understand the tone of this conversation? Don't know about you, but the word that jumps out of me there is this word holy again, I wonder if your experience is different. But when I was a child, uh, in my conversations with my dad, I, I remember talking about lots of different things. I never remember saying, Dad, may your name be kept holy. <laughs> your family might work differently. That's not it. I didn't do much your kingdom come either to my dad. Those I, I, so I'm thinking here, have I got the setting wrong? And do I need to tweak this image in my mind of what I'm doing when I'm praying here? Well, let's so I think, okay, let's do it. Let's start again. Uh, holy. How can I imagine coming to a holy God? And There's a passage in the Bible that instantly comes to mind when I think of God's holiness, and it's very vivid and visual, so maybe it would do well for my setting. The setting, And it's found in Isaiah 6, 1 to 5. You can turn to it if you like. We'll be back there later. It will appear just behind me as well. But so I'm thinking, right, like, what setting am I now in? Isaiah 6, 1 to 5. This is what Isaiah writes. You'll see the link with holiness as we go through. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Tending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet, and with two, they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, 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 there's the link right there. You see what I've done there? Is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yeah, I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. So here am I trying to set the tone for my prayer time and I'm now utterly disoriented. I'm completely puzzled. Where am I, visual thinker that I am? Where am I in this prayer time? Am I at home in my living room talking to my smiling dad? Or am I cowering in the corner of some celestial earthquake shouting, I'm doomed, I'm doomed. I mean, let's face it, those are two reasonably different settings we've got there. How on earth, as I come to God to pray, do I combine those things? And I think as we move from Father to may your name be kept holy, that's the problem we face. And that's the problem that I'd like to to address today. Now, just so you know, next week I'm going to talk more about the content of these prayers. May your name be kept holy is a prayer, as is may may your kingdom come. Today I still want to do tone setting. What are we doing when we come to pray? What's the setting we should imagine as we, we come to pray? Almost a question thrown in as well. I'm going to look at what do we expect when we come to pray? Direct question. When you set aside time to pray, what do you expect to happen? What do you expect that interaction will be like? If you don't set aside time to pray, we'll come on to that bit later. But if you do, what do you expect to happen? I'll answer some of those questions today. Because I think that looking at the first line of the Lord's Prayer It's not that Jesus wants to cancel these two images out, but he wants us to learn as we pray how to combine the two images. So as we approach God, we understand that he's our father, but he's also holy. I think when we pray, we must know what it is to enter the living room and spend time there. But we've got to know also what it's like to enter the throne room and spend time there. And if our prayer lives miss out one of those rooms, they'll be lacking, actually, will struggle. So let's explore more then these two images. And I'm going to be all visualizing and conceptual and metaphorical, I'm afraid, for a while. But for you more practical people, at the end, we are going to get down to brass tacks and say, "Well, what exactly should I say then? We'll do some of that at the end, okay, as well. Right. Now... I guess when we come to prayer, uh, many people would view prayer as a static kind of thing, uh, an image, again, that people might use for prayer, thinking uh, visually, once again, it's kind of me on earth, God, I'm looking up at the clouds. God's over there, up there somewhere. And the job I've got is communicating from earth to heaven. There's a chasm in the way. How is he going to hear me up there? How is he going to do it? So we could try like shouting loud, you know, God, is there anyone out there? Uh, or we could try some fancy tricks so he kind of, Oh, look at that guy over there. I can see him miles away. He's pretty cool. Um, so how do we get across that chasm? Now, just use that image is not a thoroughly appropriate image for Christian prayer however let's go with it for a second so imagine that is our problem it's a problem of distance okay Um, I suggest even if that was the case there would be another way to communicate across the distance which would be rather than me on earth God in heaven shout really loud or do something fancy is what happens if there was movement between the two what if heaven came down to earth that would make communication a little bit easier Or on the other hand, what if earth moved up to heaven as we prayed? Again, that would make, if we look at it spatially, that would make it easier, wouldn't it? And you know what? I think this is the feel of the opening of this prayer. I think there's there's a, Jesus is talking about a movement between heaven and earth. So as he says, Father, as Jesus encourages us to address God as our Father, I think it's as if God comes down to us. I get that feel here. God stoops low from heaven to earth. He stoops to be understood by us. He allows us I think this is an incredible privilege. He allows us to speak to him in such familiar language. We take it for granted, Father, the ancient Jews didn't take that for granted. They were shocked by that. But Jesus said, No, it's okay. It's like God stooping down and saying, Look, I'm coming into your world here. I'm almost using this, letting you use this down to earth language because I want to ensure that, that kind of you understand uh, what's going on. I want to tell you, I understand what's going on for you. I value the earthly parts of your lives. As we'll see in future weeks, He cares about our daily bread. And he cares about the temptations we're going through and about uh, the, 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 uh, the, the failings that we sometimes uh, c- commit. It's like God's coming down to us as we call him Father. But that's not the only movement that happens. As, as we pray, I think then, we ourselves are meant to be lifted up to heaven. Our minds, usually, in the normal daily scheme of things, are so consumed with the things of earth. We need to get a right perspective because those things aren't the only things there are. Life's full of the mundane, but also we know life's full of the magnificent as well. As we pray, there's a sense in which we get swept up to heaven and get this new perspective as we're caught up in the things of heaven. Things like holiness. We pray for our Father. He comes down to us. We go, may your name be kept holy. I think it should be. Jesus is saying, you should expect movement. You should expect to be moving as if you are suddenly poking your head above the clouds and you're in the throne room of God. Now, let's just pause for a second to bring us all kind of up to speed on this, this holy word that I've kind of thrown in and there's some pictures on but not said a whole lot about. What does, it, what does holiness mean? May your name be kept holy. What does that mean? How can we define that, that word? Well, let me talk about God being holy. What it means technically is God being separate. There's a separation about that word. Okay, It's like he's different. He's totally unique. Now I'm not meaning like unique, like odd. That could be a type of unique. I'm talking like unique, like better, superior. God is holy means that God is in a subset of one. There is nobody or nothing like him at all. He is in a league of his own. And I think when we, again, Isaiah 6 gives us a very clear indication of what this means. <laughs> let's face it, when you say, when the word you're trying to define is like a word, that, which means you can't compare him to anything else, it's then quite hard to actually understand that word. And so this is where I think why the Bible does give us so many pictures of this. And so in Isaiah 6, let's return to Isaiah 6, and let's, uh, let's see if we can just put some more flesh on the bones of, of holiness, You've got this scene where Isaiah's there. It's an amazing scene, this temple. Uh, God's on this lofty throne. You've got smoke, you've got earthquakes and all that. Now, what's the aspect of God's holiness that strikes Isaiah the most? Well, I'd argue, from his response, it seems to be God's moral purity. Isaiah's instantly convicted of his sin as he comes up against one who's holy, who's morally pure. So when we say that God is holy... We mean morally, he's without equal. He's perfectly right in everything he does, thinks, and says, as opposed to us who obviously aren't perfectly right in everything we do, think, or say. And many people would, that would be it for them. Yeah, holiness is righteousness. It's always doing things right. That's what holiness is. But Actually, in Isaiah 6, we see there is more to holiness than this. And I think we see this from the other characters here. These are uh, mysterious characters called Seraphim. Now, I don't think it's... Uh, it's about to see seraphim simply as angels. I mean, that's how I'd I'd see this. Um, And it's very clear in the Bible that there is a level of created being that is different to human beings, definitely different to animals, but that we can't see and interact with in the normal way we would with other people. And uh, they serve before the presence of God and they'd be angels. It's also uh, implied in the Bible that there would have been among some of these, some measure of sin, rebellion against God, and those, those angels were kicked out of heaven. And now they would uh, serve uh, God's enemy, the devil, causing trouble. But you know what? Those guys aren't in heaven anymore. They're not before the presence of God. They got kicked out. Therefore, we've got to assume that these seraphim, these angels, are sinless. We've got to assume that. But if that's the case then, and God's holiness simply means that God's without sin, he's, he's righteous, You'd expect these angels to be very at home in heaven. It's like they're all just sitting around just having a drink together because, oh, you know, we're sinless, he's sinless, poor Isaiah with his filthy lips, sort him out with the cold angel, but we're all right, we're in this together. Do these angels seem to be at ease in heaven? Do they? No, not at all. I mean, you've got this image of them with six wings. Two are flying. It's handy, I suppose. Uh, two of them covering their feet. What's that all about? Well, in Middle Eastern culture, it's an incredible disrespect to show someone the soles of your feet. Okay, don't go around someone's from that kind of culture. Don't stick your he- feet up on the table like this, you know. Like, that's not good. And so they're covering their feet to show respect. They don't want the soles of their feet to face uh, God. What's the other wings doing? Well, they're covering their eyes. What's happening here? Well, the nature of God's being is so magnificent that even sinless angels cannot even look at him when they're in his presence. Yes, holiness is righteousness, but it's so much more. He's in a subset of one. Now, they're, like, they're almost, there's a, there's a fear, I don't want to even look at him because he's holy. And that's what it means for God to be holy. I think that's why it's hard to imagine a holy God... <laughs> in any sort of earthly setting. It's why it's hard to hold in your mind the very down-to-earth concept of God as Father with the utterly mind-blowing, heavenly concept of God being holy, holy. I think that in the first line of this prayer, Jesus is saying, that's exactly what we need to learn to do. We've got to hold these things together. And you know what? I think we can do it. And so, to return to my images I used at the beginning I, I think there is a kind of sequence suggested here that Jesus uses here that can help us so let's rewind back to you know my thing in the living room and all that let's rewind back to the back of there and see if I could can, can we think of a setting then when we pray that puts both of these things in let's go back let's imagine again father I'm coming to pray father okay I'm coming I'm bounding into the living room dad 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 I'm up on his knees. He's he's smiling I'm at ease it's familiar it's down to earth this is a natural thing to pray I don't need big words and stuff there's feelings of warmth, there's acceptance, there's lightheartedness. As my dad puts down his newspaper and his eyes light up as I'm chuntering on about something or other. Smiling still, he gets his finger and he just puts it on my lips. He says, son, 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 you know what? We've got time for all this. It's fine, I want to hear you. But I've got to show you something first. You ready? There I am. Smart, yeah, what's he going to show me? Great, it's Christmas come early. And suddenly there's a flash of light and I'm transported into Isaiah 6. There's smoke, there's winged creatures, there's earthquakes, there's a massive throne. And on it right over there, I can make out his face just about and I know it's him. It, he's my father, my father, that's him. What's going on? He's, he's on the throne. He's high above all others. But now he's not just my particular dad to whom I owe allegiance and love. But I understand now, he's the father, the holy one, to whom everyone deserves allegiance and love. Because he made them all, and he's above them all. He's still my father, but he's a very special sort of father. My father is the holy God of heaven. And as I'm Getting accustomed to this new surrounding, I I start to feel new feelings that I didn't feel in the living room. Feelings of awe. Feelings of wonder. Feelings of majesty. And suddenly as I'm getting used to all that, it's a flash, and I'm back in the living room on my dad's knee. And still smiling, he turns to me and goes, you see? Okay. What were you going to say again? I think that's what prayer is. I think that's the feel of this. I think that's how these can interact. As we come to offer requests of God, come to talk to him, we come to God as our father. We're welcome. He welcomes us into the living room to speak to him. But then as we come close to him, we remind ourselves and we are reminded that he's not just some old dad. He's not been sitting in that armchair all day just waiting for us with nothing to do. No, he's got a job, our father. Show you know that. Got a day job. Do you know what he does in his day job? He rules the entire universe. It's your dad. He administers the unraveling of history. He's trampling on the forces of the devil and unpicking every trace of evil from the fabric of reality until one day sin, disease, and sickness are nothing but a bad memory. That's our father. Who we come to. It doesn't mean you can't bounce on his knee. Doesn't mean he doesn't want to see you. No, in terms of availability in relationship, he is just like a perfect human father. However, there's so much more to him than that. He's our father and he's holy. And you know what? When we're then back on his knee at the end of that process, understanding this, looking into his eager face, I think then we're ready to talk to him properly. I think then we get the balance. Then we understand. Because remember, who he really is? You know what, if you miss out either of these things in your prayer, I think you're going to miss something out very profound. First of all, think, let's imagine that you never visit the living room. What would happen if you never visited the living room? Let's imagine God just starts straight off the bat. Jesus starts here. How do we pray? We'll just start this Holy God. That's how you should start. Holy God. We're straight into Isaiah 6. Well, then how do we pray in that setting? Well, how did Isaiah pray in that setting? didn't have a whole lot to say, did he? I'm doomed, I'm doomed. If that was Jesus' school of prayer, I don't know how how that would have caught on. Here's how you pray. I'm doomed, I'm doomed, amen. Okay, (laughs) it doesn't seem particularly great. All you know, going straight into the throne room with no concept of the living room is that we're small, God's big. We're sinful, God's perfect. We're from earth, he's from heaven. Why on earth would he care about me? Does he even know I'm here? That would be my question for Isaiah. I see the Lord high and lifted up. He probably can't see me. I can do what I like. Does he even know I'm there? God's holiness taken on its own in no way implies a relationship with God. Isaiah implies, and I think he's absolutely right, completely the opposite. In the throne room, if we have no other context, we expect God to reject us, not to accept us. His holiness overwhelms us and alienates us. For the disciples, this was exactly why they needed help praying. And it was exactly why Father was such a bolt from the blue to them. I mean, these guys lived in a culture, religious culture, when holy, 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 that was it. That's it, God's holy. I mean, in ancient, for ancient Jews, they couldn't even write the name of God. What they do is uh, they use the consonants. Uh, of, of the name, and th- that was how they'd write it because they felt it was disrespectful. Otherwise, they weren't keen on saying it at the best of times, but the writing was like that. that that's why, just so, so you could see the evidence of that and what the, the effect of that has been, why there's confusion nowadays in some quarters about what they called God. Some would say they called him Yahweh. Some would say, no, no, it's not Yahweh. It's Jehovah. The reason is this. is All we've got is four letters. Y, which could be J, H, W, which could be V, and H as well how do you fill in the gaps? you just got to do it yourself. No one knows what they said, probably Yahweh. But it was all because they couldn't even write his name. When you can't write someone's name and you can barely say their name, how on earth can you approach a God like that? For us, I guess few of us would have had such an upbringing and such a religious culture around us, but we still very much fall into this way of thinking. Come to him, and we think. I don't know if you d- do. This r- often this would happen. He'd come, actually, God, you're so big. You must be very busy. You're obviously perfect. Well, why would you care about this yeah. <laughs> worry or this problem or this request? At best, I'm a cog in the machine. At worst, I'm just a massive disappointment who you would prefer to forget all about. Why, why should I pray with it y- to you? Actually, th- I think such a response is. So natural and universal because such a response in some ways is absolutely hitting the nail on the head. It's absolutely correct. Considering God's holiness and our sinfulness, we should be scared of coming before Him. We should see this as inappropriate and even rather risky to approach God. You see, as Isaiah found out, sinful people cannot abide the presence of the Holy God. And if He'd been left to His own devices, This would have been the end of him. He would have been finished. But it wasn't the end of him. In the story story, verse 6 of Isaiah 6, this is what happens next. He's there, I'm doomed, I've got filthy lips, I live among a people of filthy lips, I'm a sinner, verse 6, then this happens. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now, your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. To come before God at all, we need the same thing to happen to us. We need to be clear on that. I've been talking like it's natural to approach God as our Father. Everyone, just come, approach God as your Father. That's absolutely fine. Natural for Him to welcome us, to be available to us. You know what? That offer to approach God like that is open to every one of us, whoever you are here, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian. That offer is open to you, but it can only be accepted if, like Isaiah, you've got your guilt removed and your sins forgiven. Otherwise, his holiness would consume you. Otherwise, the chasm would be too much. Jesus died for that very reason. The disciples came to Jesus, teach us to pray. And He said, Father, actually, he knew they could only do this because of what he was about to do. In a few years' time, he'd be going to the cross to pay our punishment so just like Isaiah saw, our guilt could be removed and our sins could be forgiven. It's the only way to survive the throne room. It's the only way actually we can talk to God at all as Jesus is describing in the Lord's Prayer because it's the only way we can be brought into a relationship with him. If you're not a Christian today or you're not sure whether you're a Christian today, I'd urge you to get right with God by accepting his forgiveness and you do that by choosing to trust in Jesus. That's how you do it. Now, there's lots of reasons for that. I could go on and on whether I think that's a particularly good idea. One of those reasons is that If we do that, we can approach God in relationship with him and we can talk with him on those terms. We can have conversations. Surely that's how we must pray, not to a removed, potentially impersonal deity who may or may not hear our prayers, but to our Father. So we definitely do not miss out on the living room in our prayers. However, what happens if we never visit the throne room in our prayers? I wonder if this is a more common mistake for some of us. Why do we don't visit the throne room? Why do we don't treat God as holy? Let's imagine this. Let's imagine Jesus missed out the um, "Hallowed be Your name" and the "Kingdom come." Be. He just went, This is how you pray: Father, give us today our daily bread. You know, forgive us our sins, uh, lead us not into temptation. What would be the effect on our praying? Well, I guess we'd be at ease. We could talk on and on to God, maybe for hours. We could chat, have a good chat with Him. We could even, I suppose, get some of the things we ask for. But I think we would have missed the point of prayer. A daughter comes into the living room thinking it's all about her. And she goes out thinking it's all about her. A son sitting on his father's knee has no care whatsoever about his father's business. If Isaiah comes to me and talks to me, I go, hey Isaiah, want to hear what I did at work today? Uh-uh star wars tell me about general grievous and how he defeated this he doesn't care about my business he doesn't care about what i did at work he doesn't care about my favorite programs on television now the son wants to tell his father about the things on his mind about what's important to him the child comes in with their own agenda and in the living room it's very difficult to change that way of thinking when we come to pray we come with all sorts of agenda items our concerns our worries our requests but you know what At some point during our prayer times, there needs to be a change. And if that's not in exactly the things we are praying for, it's got to be in the way in which we pray for them. We need a perspective shift as we pray. And you know what? I don't think this happens in the living room. It happens in the throne room. I don't think this happens... When we're praying our Father, I think it starts to happen as we start to pray, may your name be kept holy. Because suddenly, as those words leave our mouth, we realize our Father is holy, holy, holy. We need to make sure in our prayer times we get into the throne room. But I guess the question then to finish must be, well, this is all very conceptual. (coughs) What on earth do you mean? How do you do this? So I've got two things for you, very practical things that I think can help us here. And the first is the key one. If you want to move from the living room to the throne room, worship is absolutely vital. Worship is key. And when, when I put aside time to pray, I, I often find things happen exactly as they do in the sequence that Jesus describes here. I, I might be praying and I start chatting to God and talking to him. You know what, to enable that to happen, I remember He's my Father. I approach Him in the living room. And the language, I guess, of the living room for me and those kind of starting out praying, is kind of banter, mild praise, that's the kind of language of the living room. I start telling God how I feel, what's on my mind. God, I've had a bit of a tough day. I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about that. You know this. Can I help with this? Is, I'm just unloading. And you know what? You can do that to your father. That's fine. That's not wasted time before I get into the real stuff. No, that's what God cares. He wants us to, to hear that stuff. We can unload before him. Am I moving to thanks? I remember thanking my dad for all sorts of things. I do that with my father. I thank him for his provision. Thank you for your protection. Thank you for your assistance. That's how you talk to your father. But often, it's only when I start worshipping him that I suddenly, my eyes are open. I'm reminded, wait a minute. This isn't just some dad. This is the holy God of heaven. As I worship him, I enter his throne room. I think that's what worship does. It brings us into the throne room of God. I don't forget in those times as I'm worshipping that the one on the throne is my father. I missed all the awe and the wonder and all that stuff. No, no, there's still a sense I'm very welcome here, but I'm not just a kid bouncing on my dad's knee anymore. Let's get even more specific on what I mean by that. For me personally, when I say worship, I find it helpful when I set aside time to pray to sing, to sing worship songs. And actually, um, I don't sing any old song. I don't think, well, what was the song we sang on Sunday? Let's try that. That might work. I mean, for you, I don't don't know what you think about this. The songs we sing at church, you've probably got your favourites. But I guess probably for most of us, our favourites would be set uh, by the tune not necessarily by the words. And I don't think every song that we ever sing will get us into the throne room of God. I don't think some are designed for that. Some songs, and I hope we don't sing them a whole lot, I think take us away from the throne room of God, even though they're kind of worship songs, but that's another sermon. Anyway, um, (laughs) so for me personally then, I have a go-to list of songs. I'm thinking, I'm feeling all mundane and down here, and I want a bit of heaven. How am I it Right, I've got my songs. I know which songs. I'll I'll tell you my my top three, okay? (laughs) You know that uh, Ancient of Days song? Blessing and honour, glory. I love that song. Anyway, that's on my list. I don't usually do that thing. (laughs) Yeah, actually. Um, Anyway, Before the Throne of God Above, I find that a song that can take me into the throne room of God. Obviously, this goes, (laughs) kind of the name's a clue. Holy is your name in all the earth. You know that one? Holy is your name in all the earth. Oh, Father, you don't care if I don't sing right. It's all right. But holy is your name in all the earth. That one, yeah? I like that song. I think that song gets me in this. The concepts in it are the kind of song, kind of concepts. And you know what? I'm not telling you that because you need to quickly scribble those down. I'll go through them again. (laughs) This is the way to go. What I'm saying is this. I've got a go-to list. I want to get into the throne room of God when I pray. And so therefore, when I'm feeling like, oh, this isn't going anywhere, I've got tools to get me there. If you don't have those tools, those three songs might be a start for you. Otherwise, find some others. Songs about God's expansive might and majesty and holiness. Those songs, they help me. They help me get swept up into heaven and remind me that's what prayer is about as much as it is getting God to come down to earth. I've also found it very helpful throughout my, my life to have a go-to passages of scripture as well that can remind me about God's wonder and his holiness. I've, I've got some of these up, up here. Psalm 89, Psalm 97. Those are great psalms. Whoa, God is massive. Maybe passages explaining the wonder of Jesus. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Or maybe very visual passages, Isaiah 6 as we've seen. Revelation 1, John sees Jesus, hair white as wool, sword coming out of his mouth, he falls down as if dead. Now, I don't want to necessarily fall down as if dead when I'm praying, but you know, I want to be blown away. I want to be in the throne room of God when I'm praying. Again, you know what, that's not the list. But I ask you, what is your list? When you want to get into the courtroom of the king, what, what have you got? What tools, what resources have you got? If you've got none, If you just got the Bible, let's turn somewhere, please. Not Leviticus. Actually, Leviticus is quite good, actually. Not here. You know what? Write that down. That's a start for us. Because actually, if it's important we're getting into the throne room, we need some sort of way to get there. When I go to prayer, I have these things in my hand. I have them in my mind. I try to have my Bible open or available. Because usually, it's only when I've done that sort of stuff, I can really talk to God properly with the correct level of intimacy and awe. As we'll see next week, when I've done that, my prayers aren't then all <laughs> gimme, gimme, gimme. My prayers are more, your kingdom come, Lord, because you're holy, because you're the center of everything. Uh, just one more practical thing uh, that might help. It, to pray like this, I'd say we need to put aside time, and we also need to find the right place as well. Um, Now, just to say before, saying that, it's absolutely fine to talk to God as you go about your daily business, even on the loo, that's allowed, okay, doing the dishes, wandering around, you talk to God all the time. David, so this Psalm 16, verse 8, this verse revolutionized how I approach God. He says this, I have set the Lord always before me. That's an aim. Paul said, pray in the Spirit at all times. We, we pick, catch up with God all through the day. We don't have a set time and then that's it, done. Not talking to you again, God. No, no, no. We, we, we do that. We weave that into our life. However, having said that, when the disciples came to Jesus and asked for his advice on the best way to pray, he didn't say, guys, you know what? I know you're really busy. Just catch some time along the way when you can. You know, just do your best. He didn't say that. In Matthew's gospel, he prefaces the Lord's Prayer with this instruction. He makes it very clear here. Matthew 6, verse 6. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Listen, Jesus is clearly envisaging that his followers are going to set aside times and portions of their day to pray, to carve this out and spend time dedicated to this activity. And he's saying... You need to make sure that time is in a suitable place for what you're trying to do. Now, I don't know if you think this is odd, but I apply Matthew 6, verse 6 by doing completely the opposite of Matthew 6, verse 6. But I think I'm in the spirit of what Jesus is trying to say. I, I find it hard to go into a room, close the door. I'm kind of restless, as you can probably tell. I like salsa dancing and all that sort of thing. Um, so I walk. I, I, I close the front door, but I go to walk. Because I, th- I think, I, I don't think I'm being unfair to this passage, what Jesus is here saying, I think, is get yourself somewhere where you won't get interrupted and when you're, when you're on your own, okay? That's what I think he's saying. And where I can walk, I can do both of those uh, things. Now, and the reason that I think it's important, where however we apply this, get I, on our own and away from interruptions, is that because of the content of what prayer is because if I'm right here this is what Jesus really means about prayer if prayer involves moving from the living room to the throne room if at the end of our times of prayer we should be able to say I spent some time in heaven right then you know well actually that is going to take some time and that means not being interrupted If prayer is about having my entire perspective on life changed and being shaken out of the the me-centered humdrum routine that I live in all the time, you know what? It's going to be worth setting some time aside for that activity. Now, I recognize right as we close, I've done the unforgivable thing. And for a whole load of you here, the minute I say that, that's it. Right, let's bring on the worship. Sermon's not going to help me out today. Because you're saying, well, when you talk about time, Johnny, that's the thing I don't have. I just don't have it. It's impossible. I've tried this loads of times. I do not have time to set us, that stuff aside in my day. It's all right for you. You work for the church, you probably do this all day long if you want. I've got a job, I've got a family, I've got this, I've got this. That's a serious thing. Well, I'll tell you what then. You can't do this every day. Let's scale it back a little bit. Could you pray like this once a week? Could you like, you know, when you book in the things in your week, you look at the beginning of the week and go, I'm going to go and see my friend on Thursday evening for an hour. I'm going to uh, do this on Saturday morning for an hour. I'm this, my t- favorite TV program on like this. Well, could you at the beginning of the week go, right, where is my time when I'm going to enter the throne room of God this week? Saturday afternoon, I can do it then, you know. Can you book in once a week? Can you say, I'm going to put aside half an hour or an hour's time to do this, to, to do business with God, my Father, hallowed be your name. I'm going to give my husband the kids. I'm going to tell my housemates not to disturb me. I'm going to talk to my holy father. I'm going to take advantage of the way he so graciously stoops down to let me talk to him as father. And I'm going to expect to let him sweep me up with him into heaven to see him in his holiness and pull that piece of heaven into my humdrum life. Now, you know what? However you can do it, you think weak day month whatever I think whatever practical way you want to go about doing this I'd encourage you as we finish please commit however you do it to learn and it is a learning Jesus teaching his disciples something commit to learn to pray in such a way that when you're done you can say I came to God in the living room and you know what I met him in his throne room can we do that cool well I'm done I'm going to hand on to Russ, and the benefit you've got here of doing it this sort. Of, well, no, to Jonathan, the benefit you've still got doing it this way around is you get like a whole load of time to worship now. I would encourage you. I'm, I'm off to travel around Birmingham, doing a few talks on the way. It's kind of like a safari sort of. Um, but um, you guys have got a chance now to get into the throne room of God. Show that we do that singy bit at church, don't we? Get into the throne room of God. Get him to shape, realign your thinking with reality and meet with the Lord of heaven. You've got that ahead of you. I hope when I talk to some of you in the week or wherever, how did it go on Sunday? And in the singing bit, you go, well, you know what? We went into the throne room of God.